You are listening to 7 Billion Reasons Why podcast. Because there are 7 billion people on the earth, we want to teach everyone about God's plan of salvation and the good news of Jesus Christ, especially to our Jewish friends all over the world. Episode one. There are 7 billion people on this planet. Therefore, there are 7 billion reasons why we should talk about God. God wants us to look up look out the window and express our thankfulness for his creation. He expects all of us to see his fingerprints in our lives, even if we are victims, even if evil has been done to us. God loves the world. If you're seeking God, then please keep listening. If you're not sure yet, again, keep listening. If you know God by another name or another religion, I want to talk to you too. If you've had a salvation experience, with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. You're welcome to listen in to this. This is for you. There are billions of reasons to discuss these things in detail until the end has come. And I pray that all of you who hear these words will be blessed in the name of Jesus Christ. Episode one, and I'm going to get right to it. The thing about this episode is it, you, you have to have thick skin because I believe this is one of the most controversial issues in our world today, at least in America. Episode one is about sex and Christianity. Now, let me read my disclaimer here so that nobody gets offended uh, that that shouldn't because I don't want to hurt anybody and I'm not trying to hate on anyone. Here's my disclaimer, okay? Christianity does not condemn any lifestyle or choices because the world is already condemned. Everyone is already ruled a sinner before God. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ, our hope, which is why it's called the good news. Therefore, if you do not like what I'm saying, if you don't like what you're hearing, please don't associate this message with homophobia or misogyny. We are all sinners. I being one of the worst. I am not condemning one single person or lifestyle or identity on this podcast. Rest assured that I am a human just like everyone else and I'm not above any man. I will say that the word of God challenges all of us because we all have fallen short and we shouldn't pick on one group or the other, but all men and women need to be restored to their God. So I'm going to talk about sex and Christianity. And I'm not going to be afraid to put things out there the way the Bible describes them. It's hard, but it's also hard for anybody. Don't feel singled out because we're all in this together. Sex in America. Nearly 75% of all adults think premarital sex is okay. Nearly 50% of all adults think sex in an open relationship is wrong. Think about that. 75% of adults use the term committed relationship, but 50% of adults do not think those committed relationships should be broken by an open relationship. So that means if I'm, if I'm doing the math correctly, which, you know, I can be very inaccurate at times, that a third of the people who think premarital sex is okay do not believe an open relationship is okay. Just think about that. This is from Pew Research. 
And I think that I think it's very interesting that consenting adults view sexuality in terms of casual relationships and hookups and things like that. So it's basically the rules are because all societies have rules. We all need rules. The rules are if you want to have sex with this person and they want to have sex with you, then it's okay. It's a committed, casual, sexual relationship. I guess it doesn't have to be committed if it's just the first day you met them. But it's certainly a casual sex agreement. So if it doesn't work or if you don't care about pursuing that person, then you obviously find different partners and you rinse and repeat. But 50% of adults who are doing these things don't agree that you should have more than one partner at the same time. So the rule is monogamous relationships are the key to stability. So we still have some form of monogamy, but it's not under the umbrella of, of a committed relationship. And when I say committed, I mean that two people make a a covenant with each other and with God. Or you could say a higher power and say, I promise to be with this person until I can't, which is when I'm dead. And then that's accepted and the people can go and be intimate with each other for the rest of their lives, producing children, growing their family, and going through all stages of life. But casual sex changes that. Because now person A or person B doesn't have to commit. If you like person A and you're person B, well, that was just sex for one day and you're going to have to deal with someone that's missing in your life. If you don't like person B or person A, then you can move along. This would not work as cleanly as it does today without technology. I think that birth control has, has given people a lot of options to explore the world of casual sex. But even with that, I think something is missing in our relationships. I think that without commitment, people feel insecure. So they just get what they can get. Um, Without commitment, when things get hard, there's no recourse. There's nothing you can say or do to keep someone right next to you. And If you listen to all the love songs from the beginning, it talks about missing your partner or regretting treating them terribly, wanting them back again, being jealous when they're with someone else. I think that's just the cry of our hearts that are broken. Many, many hearts that are broken because people don't stick together when they should. People think that other people are merchandise. We're always talking about exploitation But is it okay to exploit someone who wants to be exploited? That's the question. If you say, well, I want to be exploited, so it's okay. I want to sell myself. Can you do that? The answer is no. There's still laws, at least in in America. I think in other countries, you might be able to do that. But there's certain things you can't sell. But what if you want to? What if two people are okay with saying, look, I don't care about being abused. I don't care about being used. Is that okay? Is that okay that I continue to live this life that I want to live? I want to be abused or used or and thrown away because I want to start over and do it with another person. And maybe that person will be the right person. The fact that there is a, a right person out there boggles my mind. There's seven, 7.9 billion people on the planet and your right person 
usually comes from the same zip code or the same county or the same state. Even though people do, you know, online dating and long distance stuff. But I think the right person is the, is the right person because they treat you the way they're supposed to and they commit to you. So when we say we're waiting for the right person, meanwhile, I'm trying everybody else. Is that really a fair answer? Listen to this. This is from TikTok and it, I've never heard it described this way. It is amazing how he describes dating in America. And if anybody knows who who this is or what show this is, let me know. I will give them credit. But at this point, I do not have the title to this video. Dating, the word is not in the Bible. Like that, that word's not in the Bible. But the concept of what we call dating um, is honestly uh, practicing divorce. It's like getting with people to then figure out if you kind of want to be with them and then you get out of it. And then we're taught, like as young people, like try it as many times as you want to until you find the one. But what you've done is you formed unknowingly a habit of getting into things and getting out of them. Oh, wow, I've so, never heard anyone say that. So what ends up happening is when you get into a marriage and you're like, they're better than everybody else. And oh my God, I love them. And they bought me the right <laughs> ring. And you go all that other stuff. When it gets tough, you're like the first reflex I know to do is get out of it. Yeah. And that's why divorce is higher right now than it's ever been. And the yeah. saddest part is it's almost the same in the church. So it's, it's the divorce. It it's because we've, we've used this tool. And so we, uh, me and my wife, decided to do is called, let's take the word dating and what you think that concept is, but let's put the word intentional in front of it. And what we want to do is make a process where it's not commitment yet, but you have a season of getting to know each other where there's on-ramps and off-ramps. Because the problem is, once you go Facebook official, it's over. <laughs> we might as well be married. That's so true. And, and so that's where the generation gets so messed up is they don't have a time, a period where they can figure each other out. And so we encourage people, hey, let's read a book together in this time. Because a lot of people go to sex in the intentional dating period is yeah. because they, they stop running out of things to talk about. Yeah. Like we've watched every movie, we're sitting here and it's like, oh, but you look nice and you smell nice. And so we got to give them a center point that'll help them focus on God, focus on each other. I do think the the right person is is this myth that we have, like there's this one right person. Mm -hmm. I think it's the people who work on it. I honestly think that if two people who are going after God get in the right place in the right environment mm -hmm. and decide to be committed and work on something and have yeah. godly accountability and allow people to be real with them, I believe that. I love what he's saying because it's so true. Practicing divorce. We're not acquiring the skills needed to have a long-term relationship with someone of the opposite sex. We're not honing these skills and we're not 
seeing them demonstrated before us. We are actually um, practicing, like you said, divorce every time things get hard, you break up. And we've been doing this since like the eighth grade, sometimes earlier, where people feel like, oh, you know, you want a boyfriend or a girlfriend really, really early in life. And I think that is a bad idea. I think it's a terrible idea to, to have young people in middle school having serious relationships. They can't handle emotional pain. They're supposed, they're insecure and they're supposed to be because they don't know what life's about. But I know we all, you know, a lot of people, you just wanted a girlfriend, the feeling of the boyfriend, the feeling you had, you love them, you write them letters. If you were to go back and look at those letters now, you would laugh because you know, you, you don't, you didn't know what love was. You didn't know what commitment was. You were just pretending. And some of that is is natural. You want to be like the adults. But I think there's some guardrails missing in our society. I think we we, we don't have, I think we're allowing things to happen to our, our youth. And we're glorifying those days when we were young and free. But we're not including the bad parts, the traumatic parts that happened to us and other people who were abused at a, at a very young age by people that they said loved them, by people that uh, wrote them letters and tried to commit to them in, in a very basic way. Uh, maybe maybe it really wasn't commitment. Maybe it was just monogamous, serial monogamy, where it's like, I'll be with you until I don't like you. We'll be together until I get bored or you say something I don't like or... There's some kind of conflict. That leads me into something that's another controversy that's coming. The sex bots. Okay. Sex bots are coming. Why? There are a couple things on the horizon. Um, one, men are definitely more uncomfortable engaging women in our society. Actually, sexual contact is decreasing worldwide. So that, that, that ability to negotiate your intimate activity and the the courting and the you know pillow talk I guess you could call it I, I, don't, I don't know I don't want to be too vulgar but I, I feel like this is this is something that's that's ticking down because men are not like they used to be young men aren't like they used to be so they're not approaching women as much and so because they feel insecure and maybe it's because of Instagram, I don't know. Um, maybe it's because of the lack of role models. I don't know. But what sex bots provide are super normal stimulus. That's extraordinary. And if you can buy one to replace your uh, desire to be with a, a physical person, then then it's a short term gain. 
and benefits, which if you, you can look this up on Psychology Today has an article about this that says, will the rise of sex bots mean the end of relationships? It's fascinating. It's a fascinating article that while there is a short term benefit to a machine taking the place of your sexual partner, there's equal and extraordinary long term costs to basically mating with a robot. And you may, you may ask, okay, how do we get from premarital sex to sex robots? I mean, there, there is a leap there. I, I, I agree. I agree with you. There is a, it's a large leap from what Pure Report is saying as 75% of adults think premarital sex is okay and sexual robotic, uh, automatons walking around and, and serving you and things like that. These are, these are the, the fantasy, the fantasy world is becoming reality where people get to do whatever they want to do, whatever is easiest to do. And relationships are not easy. Relationships are hard. And, and, and by the way, sex, sex robots and pornography are, it's just an evolution to get it off your screen, then to manifest it in front of you like a, like a real person. And there's always been this desire to break through the screen to get that person. Okay. So that's why I believe it's, it's, it's on the horizon. And it's something that I'm predicting now because in 10 years, when these things are cheap and they're lifelike and your son has one, you will understand where I'm coming from. You're going to just, mine's going to be blown where people aren't going to want to be with each other. Humans, they'd rather be with a robot because a robot never complains and a robot never gets tired and a robot does everything you want them to do. And isn't that what, why people aren't committing to relationships? Why they're breaking up and breaking up and, and divorcing because people don't do what you tell them to do? Your partner doesn't do what you tell them to do? You see where I'm going with that? We are normalizing sexual immorality according to God. Not me. I do not make the rules. We're normalizing it in our culture every year. Rape has gone up since 2000. It's up 17% since 2013. And we've also redefined what rape is. It used to be uh, some old English language, uh, cardinal knowledge of a female, unwanted cardinal knowledge of a female, which is kind of flowery language for, you know, abusing her against her will sexually. Now the definition has included all genders. See, in the past, it was, it was assumed that only a man can rape a woman or a woman could be raped by a man, but a man can't be raped according to the definition. So why am I bringing up rape on this show? Okay. Why am I doing that? This is Incredibly uncomfortable, but there are people out there that are victims. There are people out there who, who are predators. And I'm just saying that natural, that normalizing sexual, uh, gratification, pornography, sexual robots mixed with the culture's attitude towards commitment is a recipe for disaster because people right now are training themselves not only for divorce, but people are training themselves to be sexual predators at some point in time, watching this stuff and who knows what they're imagining. And you can say, oh, yeah, they, they're free to do what they want. Yeah, it's, it's true. 
I mean, there's billions of dollars in pornography, billions of dollars. A lot of guys are doing it. A lot of women are doing it too, but a lot of men are doing this in the privacy of their own home. People that you, well, I, I would say that a lot of people are doing it from all classes of people, but some of those people don't separate reality from fantasy. And so they're going to indulge in this crazy, uh, uh, this, this, this crazy, dream and they're going to plant seeds in their own mind and their heart about what they want and they're going to get tired of not getting it in this life the virtual world is going to get boring and then they're going to look for a real life person if sexual immorality and sexual crimes are going up don't you think there's a problem with what we're showing people and are bent on sexual desires don't you think there should be guardrails for sexual activity? And I'm not just talking about one group of people. I'm talking about everybody, every identity. Don't you think sexual contact should be treated with more fear? Um, and I'm talking about a, a, a caution, not like you're afraid, but caution. And, and because it's precious. Because once it's gone, it's gone. Because you got a lot of people who are victims of people who are monsters. And I hope you can connect the dots between what I first started talking about, sex in America, to the, the sexual fantasy robots and pornography. And now the stats from the FBI that says that 17% of all of, of sexual crimes have gone up since 2013. I mean, what, what happens when it gets to 50%? And these are just the crimes that are reported. I'm sure there are a long, there's a long list of crimes that are not reported for many years. So let's get into the teachings of about sex and how Christians deal with sex. Because if you're not a Christian, you may not know God's will on sexuality. If you are a Christian, you may not know God's will on sexuality and his intent for us and how we're supposed to interact with our sexual partners. So let me just pull up the word of God here. And again, I want to remind you about my disclaimer that I don't condemn anybody or any identity or any uh, group because we are all sinners. And if somebody is out there who has a certain lifestyle, if there's somebody out there with a lifestyle that's not compatible with being a Christian, welcome to the club. If somebody has a desire that's not compatible with being a, a believer in Jesus Christ, welcome to the club. We're all like this. That's the point. And the message is not being clear. The message is being distorted by some people who just are ignorant, by other people who are lying. A Christian doesn't condemn anyone because the world is already condemned and we have salvation in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. That's the point. So please, if you're feeling depressed by this, you don't have to be because nobody's going to change you. You can't change you. No man can change what you like and what you don't like. That's impossible. You see, the whole idea is not for you to change yourself. You can't change yourself. You can't go through some 
take a couple classes and say, okay, I'm not gay anymore. That's not the point. For some reason, the debate is, oh, are you, is gay, is, is being gay a, a choice or that it, do, it doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. Heterosexual, straight, gay, whatever you call it, whatever you, you are, we're all literally in the same boat. So I just want to encourage you that you're not alone, no matter where you fit in all this and just be open to what God is saying through the gospel. The good news is that we can get the Holy Spirit to be poured out into our hearts. And it really doesn't matter what identity you claim because God will claim you as his and he will write his law on your heart and in your minds. Nobody can do that work except for God. So if you want it, it's here. In Jesus' name, believe. I'm making some updates to episode one, and this right here is a version 1.1 of what I published at the beginning of 2022. In this episode, I read through Leviticus and some other Old Testament books, and I feel like now that can produce the wrong impression due to our worldview now, the dominant worldview in Western culture is so far from the ancient Near East, it takes more time to develop that idea. And I feel like it would take time to help people understand where this is coming from. And a lot of atheists and enemies of Christianity use the Old Testament to kind of point out that it is outdated and harsh and judgmental towards people of certain um, identities. And I think that's the wrong way to look at the literature on sexuality in the Old Testament. I think it takes time to develop. And some folks are very anxious to prove that the Bible is not the Word of God. So we're always going to have people like that. And I'm never going to have an answer that satisfies everyone. But I can say that there are some things that the scriptures assume about sexuality, especially in the New Testament, that is based off of the Mosaic law being the standard. Also, the Torah or the law of Moses was given to the Israelites, and it does have significance in the Jewish identity today, even today, I should say. And it is true that the application of most of these legal requirements or the legal punishments for breaking the covenant are enforced in the context of a sovereign nation that is faithful to the one true God. Outside of being faithful to the one true God, you cannot punish someone for doing the things in that book because everyone is sinning. And that's Jesus's point when he draws in the sand. We don't know what he wrote, but he draws in the sand and he says, he who has no sin cast a first stone. You cannot stone someone when you are sinning. So that's the whole point he's making, that sin had corrupted even the leaders. They were sinning in ways that they did not recognize. Also, in many cities in Judea, they did not have the right to capital punishment anyway. So 
if they did that, it would be a freak one-off thing that they could definitely invoke a Roman response for, and that would be bad for the community. So basically, Jesus was calling out hypocrisy. And also, I wanted to add that we have a lack of historical sensitivity. Even in the last 50 years, which there are a lot of people who are still alive today who remember this, but 50 years ago, there was no internet, but there were phones. So, you know, some people just don't understand that concept, especially the, the younger generation. You know, what was a phone if there was no internet? Well, you just talk to people. Uh, you had to memorize numbers and look in a phone book for restaurants and things like that, hotel reservations. The seatbelts were not mandated back then, 50 years ago. College tuition was $2,000 a year, and a man could own a house on a single income with a blue-collar job. So these things, our world is rapidly changing, and we don't even understand that aspect. So, you know, I think that we need to really look into how we process historical information and literature from the ancient world And it can't be pushing our agenda through the text. It has to speak for itself, and you have to know the context. And you don't know how people felt about these things without understanding those things. Sexuality back then was not an identity, but a behavior. It's something people did. That's much different than today, where people have an identity in their sexuality. That's just not the case across the board in the ancient Near East. And many people today and back then even are not living the way God requires. So whether it's gay or straight, there's still many, many failures in both communities. So I'm not trying to call out anybody in particular in this episode. And I was trying to demonstrate the righteous requirements that God has for us and that no one group should feel called out. We are all in deep, deep trouble by how we're living in the bodies that God's created for us. So the mistake is not calling out both groups, which can misrepresent God's word. And that's why I'm going to update this episode with this little blurb to clarify that. So thank you for bearing with me, and this episode has been changed. If you sum it all up, there's blessings and there's curses. Okay, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't do this, you'll be cursed. Okay, that's that's the Torah. And it was supposed to be like a, a schoolmaster. That's what the, the New Testament calls it, like a teacher. I'm going to show you what righteousness is. I'm going to lead you to righteousness. But... The problem is that we in our flesh are all sinful people. We lie, we steal, we cheat, we break all the commandments. And we need mercy. We need mercy from God to be forgiven. And that was also explored in the Old Testament as well. So Jesus is saying that if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already broken the covenant with your wife because you desired someone else That's when sin was born in this desire. And that's what makes us um, 
alienates us from God. Just that right there. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I love that verse. I love it. Because he said, that's what some of you were. Not who you were, what you were, by definition. And we have more categories today than they did back then. Just name them. Whatever wrongdoers are according to God, you can fill in that list. But when you come to Christ, that's what you were, but you're sanctified by the Spirit of God. And that's something no man can do. You can't go to uh, some type of counseling and receive. No. You have to be changed by God's power. And I'm not talking about one group of people. I'm talking about everybody down here on this planet is living a life that's apart from God unless they've been justified in the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what side of the globe you're on or what your identity is. God loves all people and he's calling people to be justified in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Let me play you a video from Dr. Michael Brown. It's fantastic. If you have any questions about LGBT issues in the church and how, how to, what God's opinion of it is, don't be offended. Listen to this. It's the most heartwarming thing because Dr. Michael Brown has a ministry called Ask Dr. Brown and he has the same, I have the same heart he does. I love everybody. And condemn no one because I'm just as bad. I'm no better, but we're holding out the gospel with, with with hope because we know it's true. And what God can do is amazing. And the grace being poured out on people right now is amazing. And if you listen to the media and all these other channels, you're going to be confused and you're going to be hardened. You are so valuable to God that he has all of us praying for you and spending our lives for you and risking our lives for you. Listen to this this teaching or this interview, Dr. Michael Brown, in his heart for people who are hurting and confused and angry and abused and neglected and discriminated against. We shouldn't be discriminating against anybody. Listen to this and 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 you'll understand where I'm coming from as well. Listen, we're called to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. And I do what I do out of, out of a burden. Uh, first, I'm jealous for the glory of God. I don't want his name misrepresented. W- when the church takes a wrong stand on homosexual issues, when they think the louder we shout, we just quote Leviticus 18:22 in the King James and shout it louder and we've solved all the social issues, we don't realize you got hurting people out there. You got lost people out there. You got a family whose kid just came out as gay. You got a 16-year-old who's ready to commit suicide because he thinks God hates him and the church hates him. Are we considering those people as well? When I got burdened about homosexual issues about 11 years ago, it was 2004, it was quite out of the blue. That was not an issue I dealt with before I was saved. If I dealt with sexual issues or heterosexual issues, uh, I, I didn't have a ministry to, to those who were homosexual. Even though someone very close to our family came out of homosexuality, it was never a real burden. 
But God started to burden me about what was happening in the society, what was being taught in the schools. I mean, you got a nursery school in the city where I live where the teachers can't say boys and girls. They have to address the kids as friends because you can't make gender distinctions. I see this kind of social madness. I see the real threat to our freedom of religion, speech, and conscience. I started to get burdened about the issues, but then I wanted to get to know the people. I'd sit and talk with anyone I could. Once I heard they were gay or lesbian, I'd say, tell me your story. Tell me about your life. Tell me what you've experienced. And I'd read all the books that I can where they tell their stories. There's someone who's a gay pastor and trying to justify it and how he tried to have demons driven out of him, how he was suicidal, and how he's, he's accepted that the Bible is accepting of homosexual practice and so on. I'd read their stuff. Sometimes the agony would be so great. I'd put the book down and get in the room alone and cry. I said, God, I don't want to hurt these people. Mm -hmm. I want to help them. Mm -hmm. And the Spirit gave me a clear word. Reach out and resist. Reach out to the people with compassion, resist the agenda with courage. So if I'm preaching in a church and they want me to talk about marriage and talk about why we cannot redefine marriage and talk about the importance of these things and expose gay activism, I'm gonna do it with the thought, there's a gay kid in the front row that came wanting hope tonight. There's a couple struggling because their grandkid just came out and they don't know how to respond. So I, I wanna stand strong against the agenda, we must. We, Martin Luther King said the church must be reminded it's not the master of the state or the servant of the state, but the conscience mm -hmm. of the state. We must be the conscience of the society. We must be that light in darkness. We understand that. At the same time, we are the answer through the gospel for every hurting and lost person. So there's a tension I always live with because I know that calling, that prophetic burden to speak, and yet there's the pain knowing that you're gonna be misunderstood, knowing that people you wanna reach, they'll feel pushed away. How can you do it at the same time? And I think that's part of what we live with, always that holy tension in this world. But if it's for the praise of men, we gotta throw in the towel, it's not gonna work. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The glory of God, the glory of God. We will see the glory of God through Jesus Christ. It's going to be fantastic. I know it's real and I'm confident and I'm persuaded that one day Jesus will put things right. And I need his grace and mercy because I don't want to be judged for things that I've done and that I'm doing. So I hide my life in him. I bury myself in him and I put all my hope and the resurrected son of God. They still haven't found the body and then they'll never find the body because he's coming back to restore things. The Holy Spirit being poured out is grace. The Holy Spirit being poured out can be accessed by faith and the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The one who took all of our sins onto himself, who was raised for our justification. That means nobody can take your salvation away. They can hurt you. They can make fun of you. They can criticize you. They can try to lie to you. They can call you names that hurt your feelings. They can shun you, but they cannot take your salvation away. You will be saved forever. It's an eternal kingdom and Jesus' reign will never end. Now, there's also a way of mental strength to not lust after things that are bad. Like Jesus said, there's a war versus the flesh and the spirit, human effort and God, death and life. These are all themes in the Bible. So when people try to uh, tell you to just change your behavior, you can't change. You can't change. Nobody can change themselves. Okay. Nobody can do that. I may work for a little while, but those are 
that's not the major part of your life. There's things that just you, you are who you are because that's what you are and nobody can change that. But you are who you are and you can't change that. That is the work of the flesh, human effort, and it all leads to death. Okay. There's no Buddhist renunciation. Um, there's no, you know, there is a denial of self, but you can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain how this works. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And as so, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. According to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on things, on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of of the flesh cannot please God. Hear me out. People, hear me out. I'm telling you, this is why people come up and come against the gospel, come against Christian people. Yeah, I know there are some people who misrepresent Jesus. I know there, there are people out there who do that, but, but by and large, the reaction you get from people who either try Christianity without being converted from the spirit it's a spiritual journey. You can't just check off boxes. Oh, I did this. I did that. That's not how it works. If you have not been born from heaven, from God himself, if he hasn't imparted life to you, you remain in the flesh and you can never please God in the flesh because our flesh is corrupted. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. You're a child of God. Isn't that amazing? So you see the picture now between, you know, when I was reading Leviticus, the, the, the older, the Torah, when he got him for the mountain, you know, and people died for transgression. It's a picture of what sin is doing to us. And it's it's dying the first time is much, much easier than dying the second time. Because dying the second time is something that you need to be worried about. You, we only get about 85 years here. And maybe 25 years are wasted, you know, on, on the front where you don't have a lot of choices and you're just learning. I'm not saying that's a waste because that's, that's, still, that's still good. But you're developing. You're not you yet. And then you have another portion on the, at the end where 
the, the quality of life goes down and you have regrets and you wish you were younger. That 85 years that we get is nothing compared to a thousand years. It's nothing. And if there is an eternal judgment that's coming, then you need to be worried about not this life, but the next. And that's how I got saved. Because one day I, I, I woke up by the grace of God. He showed me you're in sin and I didn't blame anybody. I didn't um, call anybody names. I did before, but I realized the problem is me. And I have a lot of excuses, but I'm going to lay them all down and tell God I'm sorry and turn from my ways and call upon the name of Jesus to save me. And you can do that. One last principle that's so important, the symbol of marriage, the symbol of marriage is the whole reason God guards sexuality. It's not to be mean. It's not to cause people pain and anxiety. It's not to make people feel ashamed of themselves. But there's this principle in the Hebrew scriptures about marriage and how it's a mystery. Let me explain. A man and a woman who who are married represent Christ and the church or God and man. They're symbols. It's symbolically explaining the gospel every day for the whole marriage. Because when your wife does something wrong, the Pharisees would say back in, in, in first century Judaism, they would say, oh, well, some half of them would say, well, if she even cooks a, a meal wrong or burns something, then you can divorce her. So imagine all the things that could possibly happen. Some of the Jews believed that. Some of the Jewish people believed that back then. Not all of them. And the other half w- was, they were more, under control and strict about the regulations for um, divorce. But some of some of them believe that. And, and that group would find company today where people, and not it's not just men now, it's women who also don't want to commit to their husbands. From what I understand that the, the, the initiation of divorce is, is from a majority of women for various reasons. Some of them may be good. Some of them may not be. But if, if your spouse is doing something you don't like or and it's not sinful or it's just something that is not a, a divorceable offense and you want to leave, you want to get out of there or you want to fantasize. If you're like, well, I don't want to divorce because, you know, it's too much money or the stigma or whatever it may be. It's still adultery if you're fantasizing about somebody else because you belong to that person and that traps people that feeling of being trapped is the opposite of what god wants for for us you see we've messed up but he doesn't divorce us he doesn't give up on us even though he could he's god do you think he has limitations no he wants you he wants us to turn to him let me read you revelation chapter 19 verse 7 Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the wedding of the Lamb, which is Jesus, has come, and his bride has made herself ready. You see, that's the last book of the New Testament. It's the the final story, the prophecy about what is to come. And it's a marriage. It's a marriage between God and his people. And marriage is the ultimate symbol of God's grace and his commitment and his love and his faithfulness to human beings. So when you violate that in any way, when you violate his standards, 
we water down and distort his love, his faithfulness, his commitment, his steadfast love, and his promises, and his mercy to all of us. You get it now? Do you see why this is a big deal? And that's why there's 7.8 billion reasons to talk about these things. May God richly bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Google, or iHeartRadio. To find out more information about this ministry, go to pastorforpeople.com. That's pastor, the number four, people.com. You can also look for Pastor for People on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. As always, please like and subscribe to receive updates on new content, and may peace be with you, my friends.